scary stories. The channel that tells you scary stories. Let's set the Wayback Machine for the mid-70s and the location to a certain northern borough of New York City. The Pukwudgie of the Bronx River, as told to Peter Bernard, read by P.Q. Ribber. My story happened quickly. It was around 41 years ago, and nobody else was there to witness it, so I don't expect you to believe me. I'll tell it to you anyway, to the best of my memory. Okay. I was in high school, either freshman or sophomore. I attended a good school that I had to pass a test to get into. Where I lived, I really didn't want to attend the local high school I was zoned for, so I was willing to take a bus for almost an hour over pothole-covered streets to go to a school where the other students were more interested in their own homework than beating you up to steal yours. In the morning, I'd walk the short distance to the bus on Gun Hill Road because I always overslept and would barely make it in time. Afternoons, I would take the bus most of my friends would take, which went to the better neighborhood, Riverdale. Yes, Riverdale, where Archie and Veronica lived. You lived in the Bronx in those days, and someone asked you, you would say you lived in Riverdale. They had movies back then like Fort Apache the Bronx, serving to make us feel bad about ourselves, you see. But I didn't live in Riverdale like my friends. I lived two blocks from the projects in the Bronx. However, there was a stop on the way to Riverdale on Allerton Avenue that I could get off at, and there was a white bread and newspapers store there. Do they still sell either of those things in America? Well... This store would have fresh newspapers and bread daily and fresh hostess products, which had baseball trading cards in them and loaves of Wonder Bread, which had superhero trading cards in them. They also sold baseball cards and water and cookies and pop rocks. So I would check all the new stuff, make my purchases, then wander home in a sugar-fueled superhero haze. That was about as good as it got for kids back in the $6 million man era. Now it's the $6 million apartment era, sad to say. Back then, we didn't even have Walkman yet, let alone cell phones. If you wanted a song on the walk home, you hummed to yourself, and yet, somehow, we were happy. My favorite part of the trip was this one area that seemed more like country than any other part of the neighborhood. The number five train cuts through there at an angle, and there's some space between properties. The subway tracks run above ground on a bridge over the street at that point. Walking home, just past the train, I'd have to turn to the right, and the rest of the trip was sharply uphill. The first thing I would pass would always sort of make me feel sad. It was a tributary of the Bronx River that no longer had land to flow on, so the city had decided in their wisdom to divert it, to run along the elevated railroad tracks, then down the bush and tree-covered hill across the sidewalk, and into the street drain, down to the sewer. There was a dark brown stain on the sidewalk from the water having run over it for years. When my mother was a kid, this was farmland where people could survive off the bounty of the Bronx River. 
Thirty years later and it was polluted water we donated to the huge rat population down in the sewers. On days when the weather was nice and no older kids were around to make fun of me, I would lose myself watching the water running down the hill. I'd imagine the sidewalk was gone and that this was all natural once again, as it had been only a quarter of a century earlier. This could be a very peaceful practice, but ultimately sort of depressing as I knew those days could never return. On this one day, I was enjoying the patterns the water would take over the rocks as it flowed and flowed and flowed down the hill. When someone called my name, I looked left and right, even though it sounded like it had come from above. I assumed it was an echo. Then the voice called my name again, and I looked up, and there it was. There, on top of the hill, in broad daylight, standing by the railroad tracks, was a little elf-type monster man creature thing. I did not know the word Pukwudgie back then, but I now think that is what it was. Back then, I thought it was a gnome or goblin or leprechaun or some kind of trickster. It motioned with its hands for me to climb up the hill, which set off a feeling of deja vu for me, of climbing a sand hill at the beach when I was much younger. I had ended up falling and cutting myself that time. I had to get stitches for the first time. The little man laughed and called me to join him on the hill. I looked around, hoping someone else would be there to see this. I was sure I wasn't hallucinating, but I wasn't sure that it wasn't some kind of trick. Then the train came. Very fast. And the little man went with it and was gone as though he had been run over by the train. But he had appeared to have been standing next to the tracks, not on them, and he had to be closer to me than the train. He couldn't have been standing on the other side, or I wouldn't have been able to see him from my angle. I thought at first that I should go up the hill and see if there was anybody there. Then I thought maybe I should call the police, but they wouldn't have even believed an adult who told that story. My heart beat very fast as I walked home that day. I found it hard to concentrate on my homework, and I didn't even watch TV that night. I felt exhausted, but I couldn't sleep. How did that thing know my name? Was it dead? If it wasn't dead, would it come back for me? I only lived right up the hill from where I saw it. For the rest of September, on through the Halloween season, I was jumpy and paranoid, terrified that I'd see the man again. Rats used to paralyze me, but now I was grateful when the shadows moving at my feet only turned out to be them, and not this taunting gremlin thing that knew my name. It was not a natural creature. It was something magic. It was supernatural, and that was how it knew who I was and why it tried to trick me into hurting myself. The little man never showed himself to me again, and I eventually got past my fear of him. I grew up, and we all moved out in different directions. When I think back on that time and place, I am given a certainty that magic is real 
in the here and now. But I'm also reminded sharply that magic is not always on our side. Next episode, teenage students learn firsthand the hard way that Dogman is the guardian of the underworld. Check us out on our YouTube channel, Scary Stories NYC. Bigfoot Attacked My Tiny House. Scary Stories by Peter Bernard, Volume 1. Now available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook versions. Narrated by P.Q. Ribber and me, Madeline Starr. Forward by TV's famous Timothy Green Beckley, better known as Mr. UFO. And if there's anyone out there who can't get enough of P.Q. Ribber, search in your favorite search engine for P.Q. Ribber, and you'll find plenty of podcasts, music, and weirdness. Come back, come back, come back for more scary stories.